You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. So I've, uh, I've never lived on my own. I've always, uh, when I was growing up, I shared a bedroom with my brother. Uh, went to college, had a roommate. Um, and we got married right out of college a couple months afterwards. And so I, outside of a few weeks here or there, um, I've, I've never lived on my own. And uh, I've always had to manage living arrangements with someone else. Now, most of the times it's fine. And some of you may have had similar experiences, shared a bedroom with a sibling growing up or, you know, different roommates. Um, most of the time it's fine. And, and um, you know, but sometimes though your roommate really tests your patience. You know, they have things that their behavior, some, some of their behaviors, you know, that just really do rub you wrong and things. And, and you learn that there's give and take. Yeah. You know. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> things got really good when I got married in that you know, so never a problem with my roommate since then um, but to your point that really does change when kids come along this idea of give and take you know it's like we compromise and kind of work things out when kids come along you kind of forget about it I mean I, for me I just felt like I had control over nothing um, everything kind of, especially when they're an infant, everything revolves around them. You know, feeding time, nap time, all these things. And as they get bigger, you know, their schedules and school and all the things kind of play into it. And, um, but I noticed something happened. Some of you who are in the similar season may have had a similar experience, or if you're a little further along in the seasons of life, you may have experienced this as well. But when the last one went off to college, something changed. Um, a room in the house would stay clean a week after the fact. I'd go into the room, and it was, literally, it was just like I left it days ago. Um, and that was really pretty cool, the first few times that happened. And all of my tools were where they were supposed to be. I mean, I didn't have to go looking for my hammer or a screwdriver. They were all where I had put them and left them, and they were still there. Um, it used to be that I had no opinion about anything. And I generally thought that I really didn't have an opinion. But the reality was, it's like, ah, what difference does it make? It's going to, you know, it, my opinion really isn't that uh, going to matter. Um, but then I began to realize, well, wait a minute. I do have an opinion on certain things. And I, over time, <laughs> much to Betsy's consternation, I've kind of expressed my opinion. <laughs> now that this is a, no, I actually don't like this. I kind of like that. And it's like, wow, that's really interesting as to, you know, you know, then I began to notice that not only did I have a preference, I began to actively work towards certain things. Um, like, um, who has the remote control for when you're watching TV? You know, um, and, the, cause, cause, and I have to have it um, because it's not about what's on the TV. It's about what might be on the TV that, that's why you need the remote. Um, so you need to keep going. Um, so earlier in the week, uh, Betsy and I, a different walk. Um, and uh, for some reason, I can't explain why, I picked up this thing about using our garage door unnecessarily. So in other words, we're going out for a walk. Why not just use the front door and you know, close it and, and just go for a walk? As opposed to, you know, hitting the button and the, the machine, you know, the garage door opener turns up and, 
for me, in my mind, it's like that's unnecessary use, wear and tear on the motor, the spring, you know, on the garage door. Eventually, you know, you're going to have to replace them. It's like, just use the front door. So I mentioned that to Betsy um, once, and, and she said, okay. And next time, she continues to use the garage door. And so we were out for a walk. We're going for a walk, and I went out through the front door. And so I'm waiting out there because she had to put her shoes on or something. And sure enough, just a moment, I hear the garage door opening. Unfortunately, I got a little snarky. And it wasn't, I had to apologize afterwards um, because I didn't handle that the best way. But I discovered, what I'm discovering here is that I have this latent tendency to want to control things. And, and it's not inclusive, it's not everything, but there's certain things that I want to control. Newsflash. It's not just me. All of us have this tendency, don't we? So for some of us, it, it expresses itself in varying degrees and, and not always the same way. And, and for some of us, some things are important and some, some things aren't. But all of us, by nature, we're control freaks. We like to call the shots in our life and we tend to want things to go our own way. That's just how we are. That's kind of how we're wired. As Christ followers, however, this creates an immediate challenge for us. Because the call to follow Jesus is a call to surrender our life to him. And there exists an ongoing tension in our life. Do we, we choose to try to control our life and the things and circumstances around us? Or we have to choose to surrender uh, to other, others or other circumstances? To be clear, we do have a choice as to how we're going to respond. And this is where, again, it fits in with our series we're on on choices. And today's the, the last of our four uh, series, four sermon series dealing with choices. And we, uh, first, we talked about choosing purpose over popularity. And then we looked at choosing discipline over regret, choosing gratitude over complaint uh, was last week. And then if you haven't guessed already, today we're looking at choosing surrender over control. Now, our passage today comes from an Old Testament book, a very small one, the book of Jonah. It's only four chapters, and they're actually quite short. Uh, We're not going to read all of them. Uh, But it's short enough that you probably could read the entire book of Jonah during the time I'm talking here this morning. Don't. Um, You know, so read it when you get home. Uh, But you could, just because it's it's an easy read, it's it's a short read, and and the narrative makes it a a very fairly fast read. We do, I do want to look, read, at the, read the first 10 verses together. Uh, so Jonah chapter 1, starting with verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. 
So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What did you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what, from what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, again, just very grateful for our time this morning to be able to look at your word. And, and as we look today at Jonah and his uh, behavior, his choices, um, when he had a very clear direction from you, how he responded. Lord, may, may his life, may his story uh, say something to us to this day. And so, Lord, speak to us however you desire. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, if you're familiar with the story, um, the soldiers, not soldiers, I'm sorry, the sailors do in fact, you know, after trying to lighten the ship and the, trying to, you know, trying to find other means to save themselves, they end up grabbing Jonah and throwing him overboard. And the, the way the story's written, I mean, almost immediately after Jonah hits the water, the storm stops. Um, and then God sends a big fish uh, to um, save Jonah, if you will. The fish uh, swallows him and essentially saves him from drowning. But it says that Jonah spent three days in the belly of the big fish. Um, and after three days, um, he wasn't digesting, he got um, nauseous. And this says that literally the fish vomited Jonah up onto shore. That is, I'm curious to see how Hollywood would portray that, uh, that scene. But, uh, but anyway, so, so Jonah is now back on land. He has survived this ordeal. And God comes to him again and says, listen, go to Nineveh and tell them they need to repent. And so Jonah does that. And he, he walks throughout the city. He says it took him three days to walk throughout the city telling the people they need to repent because God was going to judge them. And here's the thing. The people do repent. The people begin to repent before God and they're all upset. The king hears about it. He puts on sackcloth and ashes, which is a sign of submission and surrender. And, 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 and everyone begins to say, we're going we're gonna to change our ways. We're going to worship the true God. And it really, and so chapter, this is chapter three. So it, it, you'd think at the end of chapter three that the story would end because, you know, God, you know, Jonah went, he did what he was supposed to do. The people repented and, you know, you'd think that, all right, now they live happily ever after. But we have chapter four, which comes right after that. In chapter four, we discover that Jonah actually gets upset with God. And uh, he basically says to God, you wasted my time. I knew this was going to happen. I knew that, you know, because you're, comp- this is this, that. And, and he was upset because you should have destroyed them. I mean, they were bad people. And he literally says this. These are the words of, of Jonah. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. <laughs> I love this. Now, Lord, take my, away my life. It's better for me to die than to live. Talk about having a pity party or just having a tantrum. This is what Jonah was doing. Uh, Jonah obviously missed last week's sermon on gratitude because um, he just was just, things weren't going the way he wanted them to and was upset and just was really having a hard day with this. Jonah had a very clear directive from God. It's one of the things I think it's important for us to remember. 
in no way, I mean, Jonah knew what God, what he was supposed to do. There's no, there's no doubt. There was, there was no uncertainty about it. He knew exactly what he was called to do, what God wanted him to do in that moment. And instead, Jonah tries to want to run away from God. They're all like, what in the world is he thinking? Because later on, I mean, he tells the other sailors, and we know that he acknowledges that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. This is the God who knows all, can do all. It's like, all right, so, you know, what, what are you thinking? Do you think God's going to forget about this? Or, or do you think that, um, you know, God found you in the first place. Do you think he can't find you again if you run away and hide? Um, you know, do you think he won't notice? What's, what's, it's almost like Jonah is behaving. You ever have a... a uh, I actually remember doing this when I was small, hiding in the closet and hiding from my parents and them actually standing in the room saying, oh, we see you. But me saying to them, because I'm, hand- I'm standing behind the clothes, so I can't see them. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, no, you can't see me. I can't see you, so I know you can't see me, let alone the fact that my legs, you know, everything from the waist down is exposed because it's hanging behind, you know, below the clothesline. Jonah's kind of acting that way. It's like, all right, I'm going to hide from God as if that could actually happen. And here's what we discover about Jonah, though, is that Jonah has some pretty clear opinions about the whole situation. From Jonah's response and from his comments, we see that what Jonah wanted was more important than what God had directed. For Jonah, his perspective was more important than God's directive. What Jonah thought, how he perceived things was more important than what God had actually said. For Jonah, his agenda was primary and God's agenda was secondary. Here's the thing. Jonah's behavior reveals this issue that rages inside each of us. We want to be in control. We want certain things to happen and we want them to happen in a certain way. When things don't go the way we want, we're tempted to take control. Maybe it's um, settling for a relationship with someone who's non-Christian because we're not willing to wait to see if a Christ follower will show up. Maybe it has to do with finances and we disregard the advice of others and we end up losing all of our money. Or maybe it's about our kids and trying to control all that happens in their life. Um, have you ever heard the term helicopter parents? The idea is that you know, parents come swooping in to save their kids. Um, a few years ago, I think 2017, uh, 16 or 17, Michigan State University did a survey of companies that hire college graduates. So, so these are companies, we hire college kids coming right out of college, 40% of the companies had dealt with parents who were trying to obtain information about the company on their children's behalf. 31% of the companies received resumes submitted by parents on behalf of their children. 26% had contact with parents who tried to convince them to hire their child. More than a quarter of the companies have had that kind of experience. 15% of the companies heard complaints from parents whose child did not get hired. 12% had dealt with parents who tried to arrange their child's interview. 9% had contact with a parent who tried to negotiate their child's salary. Almost 10%. 6% had received calls from parents who were advocating for their child's raise or promotion. 
and I love this one, 4% of the companies had seen parents attend the interview with their child. Can you imagine that? Obviously, it's a small number, but still, what are, what, what, what are you thinking? Um, yeah, so obviously, and, and, and parents tend to want to control things in the life of their kids. There are two problems, however, with our desire to control things. One is that the more we try to control, the more we become afraid of losing control. So the more we try to control, the worse it gets. It's like trying to dig a hole in the sand. You ever been at the beach and you're digging, you're trying to dig a hole and do things, and what happens? The more you dig, the more it kind of, it just caves in. And, and um, it just, it's just like we're just spinning, just work, 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 kind of like the gerbil on the wheel. We're just spinning. So that's one problem is that the more we try to control, the, the more we're afraid of losing it. And the second thing is that when we try to control what actually is we're doing, we're trying to be like God. We're actually trying to be like God. And as we just read in the story of Jonah, God doesn't like it when we try to play his role in the drama of life. So what's the alternative to control? As we look here this morning, the idea, we see this especially in the New Testament, the opposite of control would be surrender. What's the problem with that? Well, in our culture, it is just so, it's, it's anti-cultural. It is, I mean, in, in, from a military standpoint, when you surrender, you've been defeated. You've lost. Uh, you either um, spending, um, you know, if you, as an individual, you, you end up being taken as a prisoner of war. And if you're a country or an army and you surrender, you basically have just given everything to the person you had been, or the, the entity you've been fighting. Politically, compromise is not an option. Relationally, for you to surrender is to let others walk all over you. So the challenge we have with this idea of surrender is that if you look at any list of positive qualities that a person should have, surrender, or this idea of give up, is not among that list. Will never be on that list. We hold in high regard individuals who demonstrate perseverance or determination. People who have this never say die attitude. So we don't listen to motivational speakers who talk about surrender. But that's exactly what Jesus calls us to do, is surrender. And we have to remember the fact that Jesus calls us to live a way of life that is, and and it's actually called an upside-down kingdom. What's up is down, what's down is up, and what we thought was one thing was another, and this is one of those ideas within the life of, of God's kingdom that to try to control is not going to benefit us. It's going to hurt us. Surrender is the option. Um, Do we have any lifeguards in here? Any of you lifeguards? One? That's it. Okay. So Cameron, you can tell me if I'm I'm wrong in this. Um, But one of the things they teach you, what do they teach you about approaching someone who's in distress? Keep your distance. Okay. And why is that? They will, because they're panicking and they're going to cling to whatever they can cling to and they end up climb on top of you and will literally force, so they could actually cause both of your deaths because they're struggling to gain control. And so that you're taught then is that you don't approach someone who's struggling, that you, 
You wait until they stop struggling or wait until they surrender. It might be a way in the context that we're talking about this morning. When they surrender, when they stop struggling, you as a lifeguard then can actually then approach them and save them and get them to safety. That is the context in which we need to think about the struggle between control and surrender. We are drowning in the midst of the cares of life, thrashing about, trying to make things happen the way we want them to happen, trying to stay afloat on our own. And it just doesn't work. It might work for a little while, but circumstances change and it just doesn't stay that way. We can't control COVID, nor can we control how others respond to it. We certainly can't control um, our political leaders. We can't control our spouse, no matter how hard we've tried, no matter how many years we've invested uh, in trying to change them. We can't control our job security. We can't control the choices our kids make. Two verses that I think really speak to this issue. Um, One is in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And these are are not in your outline, but to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Some of you may um, have memorized this. It's a fairly popular passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Some translations say submit to him and he will make your path straight. I love that. Paul tells us in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What are these verses telling us about this idea of control? I think what they're telling us is to stop thrashing about. We need to surrender. So, that being said, I need to ask the question, what is the one thing in your life you're trying to control? Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a thing. Maybe it's a circumstance. What's the one thing where you often think God needs your help? Here's what I know to be true. When it comes to Jesus... We haven't surrendered anything until we surrender everything. Relationships, expectations, people, all of these are to be surrendered to Jesus. One of the things you will never hear me say as pastor, um, as part of a call for salvation, is is, is give people the opportunity to invite Jesus into your heart. What I will say always will I will challenge people to give their lives to Jesus I invite you to surrender your life to Jesus to give your life to him and to follow him so let me ask the question again what is the one thing in your life you're trying to control whatever that is you need to ask yourself is this something I should choose to surrender instead of controlling Um, three questions that I think are, are worth asking Again, these are not in your outline, but I think they're helpful as you're trying to determine whether or not something should be controlled or surrendered. Here are three questions you can ask. Uh, The first question is this, is it worth it? Does it really matter? Whatever it is I'm trying to control. The idea here is pick your battles. It's possible to win a battle and lose the war. I know for us, uh, uh, with our kids, uh, as you know, the high school, especially with our two sons, 
the length of hair would change depending upon, you know, so whether or not, and we decided, you know, that's not one of the things we're going to die on. If he wants, if one of our sons, if they wanted to wear their hair long or wanted to wear it short, that, that was not a fight we were going to pick. Without a battle, we weren't going to fight. It, that was not something we felt we needed to control. So, and, and that might be kind of a, a rather simplistic example, but there are a lot of things in our life that really are not worth the fight. It's just better just to let it go. So that's the first question. Is it worth it? Does it really matter? The second question is this. Is it mine to control? Is this my, is this my responsibility to control this? Um, we see this especially as, uh, for, or I know for Betsy and I, as parents of adult children. Some of you have summer experiences. Or as your kids are getting older, you have to realize, well, you know what? That's really no longer my responsibility. You need to make that choice. You need to live with the consequences of that choice. I just need to let it go. I need to surrender that to God. So is it mine to control? And if it's not, then perhaps it's something you just need to surrender to the Lord. The third question is this. Is it for God alone? Maybe we just need to surrender it to God because we don't, we can't control it. Uh, again, it's our spouse. You know, we can try and try and try to change them, but it doesn't work. And we just need to surrender. Why, why are you laughing? <laughs> um, we get the diagnosis that we now have a, a disease that probably is going to limit the length of our life. Or our kids make a choice that is devastating. And we realize we really can't control this. God needs to do something here. and We need to surrender to him. Here's the thing. Surrendering is really hard. But it's only when we stop trying to control every aspect of our lives and aspect of the lives of those around us. It's only when we do that and allow God to work as he chooses. Only then can we be saved from ourselves and find the peace and the joy in life that God wants for us so very much. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I just I thank you for the story of Jonah. And uh, he had a very clear perspective of the situation and it was in direct conflict with what you had asked him to do. And uh, Father, we may not have that same kind of a setting, but there's things in our life that we look at and we are a part of, and we look at it and say, that would be so much easier if, you, if everyone just do things my way. If everyone would think like me or behave like me or do the things the way I do them, um, life would be so much easier and better. And, and, and uh, Father, that's just a lie. Um, and it's something that's not of you. Some of those things, Lord God, some of us are caring that we need to let go. And Father, I pray that, you know, as I've shared this morning and as your Holy Spirit maybe has prompted and brought to mind certain conversations, maybe certain individuals, maybe some circumstances, you brought them to our mind that are things that we're trying to control that in this moment we, we need to let go. We need to trust you and trust that you have our best interests in mind. Trust that you have the interests of our children or our loved ones in mind as well. That, and, and 
trusting you, we're freeing ourselves to uh, live the life you've called us to live. So Father, I pray that um, if something is being prompted in our minds this morning, God, that we would have the, the first is the self-awareness to recognize it. Father, may we then have the courage to act on it and the strength to carry it through. Father, that we would uh, be people that do not carry things that we don't need to carry. We don't try to control things that we don't need to control. But Father, we surrender to you completely and totally. So Father, we give these to you and we do so in the name of Jesus this day. And it's the name of your son I pray. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.